Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer. And I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's on 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses. And there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures in Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we focus on all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To find more information and to get resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, 
It is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Session 7 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. So as I mentioned before, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And in honor of this, all month long, we'll be discussing relationships. So last week, we discussed friendships. And this week, in honor of Mother's Day coming up this weekend, we'll be discussing relationships with mom. So I want to also make sure that I say a very happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And want to make sure to send a special healing and positive thoughts to those who may be struggling with grief related to losing mom or struggling with a strained relationship with your mom. So today I have a very special guest joining me for the No Copay Needed segment, and we're going to be talking about strained mother-daughter relationships. So today we are joined by Dr. Pamela Thompson. She is a psychologist, professional life coach, speaker, and owner of Building Bridges to Better Lives. She has provided mental health services for individuals, couples, women's groups, and inmates since 1996. She is also the author of Surviving Mama, an adult daughter's guide to overcoming strained mother-daughter relationships, a work for which she earned a role in a therapeutic movie featured in Jewish film festivals worldwide entitled Look at Us Now, Mother. She is most proud to participate in the network of providers associated with the nationally syndicated radio show New Life Live which has guided her ability to integrate her clinical skills and knowledge with a biblical worldview for those who desire such. Her greatest passions include serving as a vessel for healing the wounded and brokenhearted, as well as an illuminator of others' hidden gifts and talents. Dr. Thompson seeks to encourage and inspire others as a priority. She is a frequent presenter at community forums and workshops. She also deeply enjoys debunking the myth that psychology is just for crazy people and has been sought out by media outlets across the country to help her to do such, including Discovery Fit in Health, Sesame Street, and the Oprah Winfrey Network. Dr. Thompson is a rare native Atlantan and was educated at the University of Georgia in journalism and public relations and at the Georgia School of Professional Psychology, where she earned her doctorate in clinical psychology. So I've had the opportunity to see Dr. Thompson speak and have um, dinner and lunch with her when she spoke at the University of Georgia and can tell you that she is absolutely one of the loveliest people you will ever meet. So I definitely think you will enjoy this conversation and hope that you find it helpful and healing if you are in need of such. So thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me, Dr. Thompson. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. You know, I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) Absolutely. So I know I shared with you by email, um, but Surviving Mama is like one of my absolute favorite books. I recommend it to clients all the time. Um, And so definitely in honor of Mother's Day and, you know, sometimes the difficult relationships we have with mothers, I wanted to have you on the podcast. So can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write Surviving Mama? Uh, yes. So it's, um, I'll make this as brief as I can. Um, in a nutshell, I was aware that my, myself and several of my girlfriends, as we 
got older and processed more and reflected on more, we all began to see some challenges in our mother-daughter relationships. And we began to realize again as the years went by that those challenges were persistent and they weren't likely to change. (laughs) And so that in combination with the fact that I uh, have a private practice where I cater to women significantly and have interviewed thousands of women in my career at this point, I also began to see the same patterns hang together in my clients. And so I I've just felt compelled to write a topic, uh, I mean, to write a book on the topic because it was so prevalent in the, in the progression of a woman's life. And usually the changes necessary for the relationship to be um, to continue to be loving and peace-filled, we're going to have to take place in the adult daughter as opposed to the mom. So that became a real focus for me. And um, at the time I wrote the book, my, my mother was living with us at, for, for, the, for the last five years of her life until she passed. So I had, I had ample fresh uh, data <laughs> that would, you know, just sort of remind me about how important this topic was and how it needed to be treated with respect because the whole idea was really to figure out how you could honor your mother uh, more so as opposed to get into this place of bashing her and not making the attempt to even understand her any longer. So can you talk about, and you do an excellent job of this in the book, um, can you talk about some of the cultural pieces that might make it difficult for Black women to set boundaries with or to describe the relationship with mama as unhealthy? Yes. Unfortunately, in the African-American culture, there is this epidemic of uh, single moms. And I think maybe the latest statistic is somewhere hovering in the low 70s, low 70 percent of women who are raising their children alone. Um, and so there is a, a strained dynamic that is inherent in that type of setup only because one woman can't do it all and she gets tired and she's stressed and she's preoccupied and she's trying to wear two hats. And one of those hats shouldn't be a hat that she has to wear or needs to wear. And so, um, the strain in that kind of uh, setup for the mother is is extraordinary. And so while there are women who do it every day and many who do it extraordinarily well, and I do believe that most mothers do the very best that they can with what they have at the time, that's the key phrase, with what they have at the time, wisdom, money, patience, uh, relationship with God, uh, you know, character building experiences, all of that. Um, nevertheless, there are some inherent um, voids in, in the setup of a single parent household that make it, I think, a recipe for a more strained relationship potentially between the mother and daughter. And you also um, talk a lot about, um, you know, just the reverence that we give to mothers in, mo- in most society culture. But I think there's a particular reverence in the African-American culture related to mom. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Yes, I'm so glad you said that, because that is the other part of the story. Um, Yeah, because when you only have one parent, (laughs) um, she has to be your everything. And so there is a, a tendency in our communities to confuse mama with God 
and to think of her as your only provider, your only caretaker, your only um, person who's capable of loving you unconditionally. And in many cases, she is that, but she still is not God. And so we uh, consider it taboo, generally speaking, to even say uh, or have a thought that is about mama not necessarily being uh, as mature as I would like for her to be or as in my corner as I would like for her to be or as available for me as I'd like for her to be because it it seems mean-spirited or, or selfish. And so people can just be aghast at the very idea that one would verbalize something negative about your mother because she is on a pedestal and um, she has endured a lot and she has had to sacrifice a lot and and everybody um, I think gets that to a certain extent but that still does not mean that she is God and so we get that confused and we'll be serving at the altar of mama instead of at the altar of the Almighty God, and there is there's always a problem. There's, there's always a recipe for some kind of destruction to come out of that. That's a very powerful image, like serving at the altar of Mama, as opposed to our higher, yes. higher power. Yes, and yeah. what that and so what that means is that if Mama said it, it must be right, and if Mama did it, it must have been the right thing to do, unquestioning unquestionably. And so because there's um, uh, there's a uh, hesitation to challenge her judgment. Um, we can be going down the wrong road just because mama said it was right. And so unless we get outside of our family box and outside of our, our discomforts with challenging her and the, and, stat, and the status quo that she brings to decision-making and problem-solving, um, we may not ever know that, you know what, there is another way to look at this or there is actually a way that represents absolute truth if you are a student of the Bible, or there is, you know, um, an alternative perspective that is worthy of as much respect as I give to my mother's perspective. So if we just stay in the family box and we never differentiate from mama and them, as we say in the South, and what people think about mama in that particular circle and her teaching and her precepts, then we could forever be making uh, decisions from a distorted place and making decisions for our lives that are actually based on lies and untruths and not on God's absolute truth. So can you talk some about some of the reasons why mama may have um, some issues going on that may make it difficult to be in relationship with her? Yes. And I, and I think this is where I, I try in the book very much so to not make this about bashing mama, but about mm -hmm. understanding more profoundly and, and just more deeply. And so I guess I'll just use my own mom as an example to best illustrate uh, an answer to what you have asked. Uh, my mother was, was a very anxious woman. I, I mean, I loved her to death. She clearly loved me. And, you know, it wasn't about a lack of love in our relationship. Um, but she had been one of 10 children, and she was the ninth of those 10 children. And they were very poor, and they had survived the Great Depression of the 30s, and her father had died of untreated diabetes when she was a toddler, and her mother was a domestic worker and had to work six days a week. And, and so there's so typically, in, in particularly in the Southern African-American family, there are lots of children, <laughs> lots of children. 
so there may be it's 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 common for for that generation that my mother belonged to to be one of nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you know, thirteen, fourteen. And so the priority of the day was around eating and surviving and just getting through the basic tasks of the day. And so there wasn't a lot of time to sit down and help you grow and develop as an individual and and play patty cake and, you know, hear about all the ups and downs of your day and, uh, you know, let me facilitate you and your girlfriends uh, getting together and having a, a special, you know, day in the park. I mean, it just wasn't a lot of time and energy for that kind of thing, not to mention um, the history of racism and the survival required around that. And so in my mother's case, uh, she had an older sister who um, became pregnant when she was in high school, which was extremely taboo for the family, and her sister could no longer continue schooling. And so she had to drop out of school and get a job. And so my mother, as a preteen, had to become her niece's caretaker. And so that meant that she could not socialize with uh, her peers because she had to go home and see about her niece. So I'm saying all this to say, to make a long story short, that because she was preoccupied with becoming a caretaker for her sister's child when she was only 13 or so, she missed a lot of her developmental milestones in developing a healthy social life with peers. And so she wasn't going to the movies or, you know, hanging out after school or whatever may have been the case, uh, because she had to go home. And so that stunted her ability to have easy and comfortable social relationships the rest of her life. And uh, so there was a lot that I didn't understand about her reclusive ways and her anxieties and her downright fears of people that um, that was something for me to deal with growing up because I was just the opposite. I was always very easy and comfortable with people. And so I think her story, uh, while it is unique to her, is not um, an uncommon one in the sense that when there are large families, as we typically have in the American, African-American South, um, or when there are um, conditions of oppression and um, just you know intense pressure on a family, to do what they can to survive, it stands to reason that a lot of folks are going to leave home without having really developed a sense of self and a sense of comfort with self. And the other thing I think that can can be pervasive in our families historically is that that um, that emotional piece, that softer, kinder, gentler tone of voice and the allowance for feelings to come to the surface and be expressed, uh, you know, and our families can be sorely lacking. And so when new generations come along and they have a different emotional vocabulary and they're living in a different time with different expectations, there is a cultural class and a clash and a generational gap between mothers and daughters where they really struggle to understand each other because we come from different times and places, and there are different priorities placed on those um, on those uh, environments in which each grew up in. And so, we'll be looking at each other like like you know dogs do when they don't understand something, and they kind of tilt their head to the side, <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> it just won't compute. Mm-hmm. And so, there'll be all kinds of clashes when really what we need is 
a little deeper understanding. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think you do so beautifully in the book is that there is no mom bashing. It really is about helping to facilitate these deeper conversations and really understanding some of the context for why some moms have acted and behaved in the ways that they have. Yes, yes. And I think when we can understand that, at least we may not be able to change it. And and that's one of the things I don't think I actually say this in the book, but I've said it in many a talk is that we can't change mama, but we can change the way we process her. So instead of expecting her to be somebody who should have known mm-hmm. how to love me and should have known how to communicate with me and shame on her that she didn't get me and she didn't she didn't play patty with me and she didn't tell me she loved me and she didn't kiss me on my forehead when I needed to be kissed and she didn't, she didn't, she didn't. Instead of just continuing to go down that lane, um, it, it helps to understand that you, we were likely expecting something from our mothers that they were incapable of delivering. They were not equipped to deliver whatever that unique thing was that you think you needed in your childhood and in your growth. And I think it also helps to balance that against the fact that nobody gets perfect parents. And nobody gets perfect childhood. And people, by and large, do the best they can with what they have to give. And so it becomes incumbent upon us to get those needs met in other ways and through other people and give give mama a break. So you've already kind of alluded to some of this, but how can somebody begin to identify the unhealthy dynamics that may exist in the relationship with their mom? And what can they do to address the issues? Yeah, that's a great question, and it, it does move us in the direction of actually solving a problem or a dilemma as opposed to staying in this place of complaint and grief and misery and blame and all of that. Unforgiveness, let me just put emphasis on that, unforgiveness, because that certainly works against the one who holds the unforgiveness. And so um, one of the things that I found and I continue to find across the board in, in my, my clients and friends and whatnot is that uh, the common thread seems to be that the mother has at some point stopped growing and she has stopped living. She has stopped developing her own friendships, her own hobbies, her own interests. And she now, uh, as she gets older, depends almost exclusively on the daughter or certain family members to meet all of her needs. And let's, let's just say one daughter, for instance. And this is, this is exactly what happened with my mother. In fact, she depended on me to be her, uh, her confidant, her girlfriend, her shopping buddy, her, her, um, you know, her interpreter for the world. (laughs) And, um, you know, no one person can meet the need of any other human being. And so that's always a recipe for disaster. And so that's that's one thing to recognize is, is there a way that I can uh, connect my mother to other outlets, other social outlets that she might be able to receive from slowly but surely where some of this pressure is taken off of me to be her one and only outlet and interpreter of the world. Um, the other thing is, I think, daughters who become um, almost uh, exclusively focused on what they didn't get from their mothers, and they lose sight of all the things they did get. And I would like to think that as we all get older, and particularly people in our field as psychologists who 
really do get to see firsthand what horrific mothering looks like and get to see what abuse has done to people and what abandonment has done and neglect has done. And and then you look at your mom and you want to just run and just thank her, you know, just thank you for all that you did and all that you were. Um, because at least I was safe, or at least I was educated, or at least I was cared for, or at least I was clothed, at least I, you know, had a stable home, whatever the circumstances may be, there are some wonderful things that she very likely imparted to you, and um, that guide you and make you uh, the worthwhile human being that you are today. So we do have to change the focus uh, from the what I didn't get to the what I did get, and very likely that list outnumbers the what I didn't get um, list, uh, hands down. Um, I think in a nutshell, those would be the two things. Uh, the daughter has to adjust her expectations, and the mother um, has to be encouraged to develop some other social outlets outside of her daughter. So you you did talk about, um, you know, kind of mom wanting the daughter to be everything um, and really how that sets up an unhealthy dynamic. Are there other themes like that that might exist that, you know, like if if a, if someone's listening and thinking like, oh, well, is this an unhealthy dynamic that I have with my mom? Are there other things like that that you could point them to, like besides just the mom needing them to be like their shopping buddy and their confidant and everything? Yes, um, yes, there are, so if we keep drilling down on that, on that question, I think one of the other things that daughters do is you keep, um, hoping that one day your mother is going to get it and you prepare to have these talks with her and these, you know, these coming to Jesus moments where you think if I just tell my truths and, unveil myself to her, she's going to someday, you know, get it and, you know, throw these apologies and this remorse at me that I've always been longing for and waiting for. And unfortunately, unless you have quite the mature mother who is quite open um, to growing and learning and hearing, that's not happening. That's, that's just not coming. And because mothering is such a hard job, it's the hardest job on the planet. Um, you know, it's very difficult for a mother to even process that, um, wow, I uh, did all these things wrong and I should, you know, apologize to you. Um, when you think about the countless hours that they spent making sacrifices for you, you know, it, it's hard and if not, if, if not next to impossible for them to receive that kind of feedback. So I would say don't expect all these things from her that she's not able to deliver. Um, my phrase for that in the book is we got to stop expecting an elephant to meow because elephants don't meow, you know, mm -hmm. cats meow, dogs bark and cows moo. And so we're not shocked when cats meow and dogs bark because that's what they do. That's what their nature is. That's what their character is. So we shouldn't be shocked likewise when a mother who is self-absorbed is self-absorbed or when a mother who's an alcoholic is an alcoholic or when a mother who is uh, a complainer complains. We shouldn't be shocked because they're in character. And I will literally say that to people. To, I suggest to people that you literally say that out loud when they do what they do, that you would say, oh, that's right. That's right. She's in character. Okay. Let me not be shocked and let me not expect something different to happen today because this is who she is. So that's one thing. Um, 
I think, um, you know, boundaries, daughters have to learn how to set boundaries and you have to learn how to stand up to her. So I think one of the big mistakes daughters make um, is, is not developing themselves as well, where they can get comforted and have giggles and laughs and and a full life outside of what's happening in their relationship with mother where where her antics don't affect them, affect them as much. You got to have some fuel in the tank. And many of us um, will look to somebody to blame. Why not mom? For the fact that my life didn't blossom or, it, you know, I'm unhappy or I never was able to date or find a man or whatever because mom this or that. And and when we stop blaming her for, you know, how she may have impacted our life development, we set ourselves free to go about the business of attracting friends, people, places, and circumstances into our life that give us that fuel in the tank so that when we do run up against that brick wall that mom can sometimes present, we're not as affected by it. It's like, oh, okay, I just had a little, you know, bump in the road, but it, it didn't shut me down where I had to throw a temper tantrum and scream and yell and shout or be devastated that once again, she didn't uh, give me what I thought she should have. Those are some great suggestions, Dr. Thompson. Thank you so much for that. So what would you say, or I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, so, you know, let's say a daughter has tried all of these things, has tried to have these conversations, has tried to set boundaries, you know, has tried kind of endless amounts of strategies to have a healthier dynamic with mom and just still feels like it's not going anywhere. Um, do you feel like there there's ever a point where it might be necessary to cut ties with your mother? You know, yes, in a nutshell is, is the answer. And I say that um, very, um, uh, with great caution, because uh, I do know that it is the right thing to do, the honorable, the correct thing to do, the biblical thing to do to honor your mother. And I think, you know, this sort of touches on the last question as well, that many of us get that confused, that honoring mother, what that looks like as an adult. So as an adult, it doesn't look like obeying her. It doesn't look like saying yes to everything that she says or suggests for your life or wants you to do for her today. Um, that is, that's not what honoring her looks like. And many of us get that confused and we exhaust ourselves. We deplete ourselves trying to please this person who uh, makes these, you know, sort of, or is capable, let me just say, in some relationships of making some narcissistic demands upon our time, our energy, our money, our, you know, everything. And so resentment can easily set up. And um, this is why I say all the time, boundaries are our friends. We have to learn how to say no, even to mama. We have to learn how to prioritize our time and, and learn really what it means to honor mother. So if you've got a mother, and unfortunately, there are many women who do, and my heart always goes out to them. I feel like they get especially left out at Mother's Day um, with all the beautiful and glowing things that people have to say about moms. And I always am aware that there are those who are within earshot of those wonderful sermons who are like, wow, that has not been my experience. And so I um, have, uh, oh, my goodness, a boatload of stories like that under my belt. And so, yes, there there are some mothers out there that are really, really toxic and really dangerous for, uh, you know, uh, being an instrument of 
developing anybody's character or um, confidence in the world or um, just, uh, you know, uh, helping people feel a sense of love and connection. There are some mothers who work against that at every single solitary turn. So what I say in the book and frequently in my practice is that some people, you have to learn how to love from afar. And I mean, you know, praying for that individual, I would always suggest that be that be on uh, that be number one on the list, that prayer would be a consistent way of communicating on behalf of your mother and uh, also sending maybe a card every now and then that just says, hey, thinking about you, I saw something, you know, at the store today that made me, you know, remember a favorite time that we had and just wanted to say, hey, and touch base and send a card or as you feel able or led, maybe sending money when you can, if you can. And so finding ways like that to stay connected to a woman who gave you life, uh, I think uh, can be extremely necessary and important for some women who have unusually toxic mothers. And of course, you're talking to somebody who's done a lot of work in women's prisons. In fact, I I do some work still at a women's prison in, in Zebulon, Georgia. And so, I mean, I've talked with women whose mothers introduced them to prostitution or introduced them to crack or watched them be sexually violated by a boyfriend or, you know, gave them their first, uh, I don't know, their first joint and, you know, which led to them having problems with addiction on and off and I mean, I've talked to some really just, wow, just some stories that just make you ache with uh, compassion for what somebody has gone through. So there are some people out there that are extremely dangerous. And yet, nevertheless, this is the woman that gave you life. And there are, there are reasons why God would have you come through that particular vessel. And I talk about that a little bit at the end of the book. Would you like me to elaborate on that? Some of those reasons. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so I I would just say, as as I do say at the end of the book, that people come, you know, there's a bigger bigger plan and in, in, in releasing our own thoughts, our own limited thoughts about what that plan is, is part of healing. And so in my particular case with my mother, who was very reclusive and who was very, very different from me, very, very different. Um, one of the one of the blessings of that, and that's what I encourage people to do, is to always look for the silver lining. What is the silver lining as to you know what what can I get out of this relationship that had some real shortcomings for me? And uh, for me, it was that um, I very much learned how to interact with people who are very different from me, and to have um, you know compassion for people who were very, very different and had very different experiences than I did, such as I had to do with my mom. Um, So that's one of the ways that she blessed me with her differences. And, you know, those differences used to cause us a lot of, uh, a lot of angst. Um, She also had a lot of health problems and she was a junk food junkie. She was a Southern cook. She loved to cook and she was a great cook and she also loved junk food. As she got older, and so um, she had all these health problems, and so I got to witness that as a child. Like we would be in and out of the hospital with this ailment or this thing, and 
And so today I am very health conscious because my mother taught me indelibly the way not to eat by the way that she lived her life inadvertently. That was the message for me. Don't go that way because I've seen where that path goes. Let's go this way because I want to choose something differently. And so that is something I credit her for and honor her for today that she taught me how not to eat and how not to age in that way. And I love her for it. So I think we can all do that if we dig deeply enough and look at how our lives took a certain turn specifically, specifically, I want to put emphasis on that word, because of what our model, our mothers modeled for us or didn't model for us. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that that's really great insight and you are kind of touching on um, the final question, which is, how do you think that healing can happen after, you know, somebody has had these difficult relationships with their mom? Like, what would healing begin to look like for a daughter? Well, I think for the adult uh, daughter who is, I repeat, maturing in her own right, because this healing does not happen without uh, a maturing process taking place. And for me, because I have a faith-based faith-based practice, also a growing relationship in Christ and a prayer life that is blossoming and dedicated and consistent. Um, but anyway, that having been said, I would say it's, it's the notion of release. You know, I, I make a conscious effort of releasing this person uh, from, you know, any debt to me. And, uh, you know, how the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so, you know, we forgive those who we think, you know, owe us something. Because really, at the end of the day, particularly once you become a grown person, nobody owes you anything. <laughs> and so uh, definitely that's the first step is, is releasing and, and realizing that you're wasting a lot of energy. Um, you know, nursing these old wounds and and wishing things would be different and and wishing she would get it. And there's just so much lost energy in that. And as I've already mentioned, um, we all are responsible for living the fullest life that we can possibly live. And so, uh, you know, as, as your life develops and your friendships blossom and you have a sense of purpose and direction about your own life, the things of yesteryear, the hurts of yesteryear begin to pale in comparison. And then you certainly want to attract people into your life who can help you with that healing process because none of us lives a good life alone. And so that might mean therapy, which of course I would recommend. <laughs> and that might mean <laughs> a new circle of friends because you may find yourself stuck with some friends who continue to help you be agitated about what your mother did and continue to um, help you dwell in that negativity because they themselves need the company, you know, saying misery loves company. And so you may look up and say, you know, I need some new friends. I need some positive people who will understand what I've been through, but who will not um, encourage me to stay in this place of uh, resentment and unforgiveness. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, that would be, you know, a few suggestions. 
Perfect. Perfect. So besides your book, are there other um, resources that you could offer to our audience about um, kind of mother-daughter relationships and things that may be helpful for them? I do know that newlifeministries.com is a network of Christian psychologists across the country. And I uh, have read so many of their resources, uh, which are just dripping with wisdom and, and healing guidance. And they do have a book. One of their folks wrote a book called The Mom Factor. And um, I can't think of the author's name, but if, uh, if you go to that website of Google New Life Ministries and go to their product section, they've just got a plethora of resources tapes and books and whatnot. But one of the books is called The Mom Factor. And then they also have a series of books on boundaries, which I consider to be the golden standard. One is called Just Plain Old Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud. And one is called, um, well, they have others that won't apply to this conversation, boundaries in marriage, boundaries in dating, boundaries with kids. Um, but the, the one just called boundaries is, is what I consider uh, golden. We have to learn how to set boundaries and to be assertive and to do so in love. And also there is, of course, the Bible, which changes your heart. You know, books and psychology and, um, you know, the things of, of the world that are man-made are capable of uh, helping you to change your behavior and some of your thought processes, but really it is the word of God that changes your heart. And unless your heart is transformed, um, it's easy to fall back on the same old thoughts and the same old behaviors that became your safe haven once upon a time in a distorted kind of way. So it really is, uh, it really is God's word that, that gives you a new heart. As the word says, he will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So uh, those would be my chief recommendations. So can you tell us where we can find you online? And is there any um, exciting news about any projects that you're working on that you would like to share with us? Uh, yes, I think so. So I can be found. My website is drpamthompson.com, drpamthompson.com. And I also have um, some videos on my website for my book, survivingmama.com, which I now know that mama is spelled a zillion different ways, but the mama for my book is spelled, <laughs> is spelled M-A-M-A, survivingmama.com. And I have some videotapes on there that sort of elaborate on the things we talked about today. And it was from a television interview. And uh, on the horizon for me, I am about to do, as you and I discussed via email, I'm about to launch my uh, podcast show, which is going to be called, which is called Intentionally free. And I recorded my first episodes a few days ago. And so I hope to get that up and launched and all of that within the month of May. And um, I am running women's groups in my office, which also help strengthen and support people in difficult relationships. And the one I'm running right now is called Nine Things You Simply Must Do for Success in Life and Love. And uh, we're going through that, and I offer those groups periodically. So I'd love to have people join my mailing list so I can send you an e-blast to announce the start of the next groups. 
And I'm working on my next book, and my next book is called Surviving Church. Ooh. <laughs> and that's usually the reaction. That's usually the reaction that I think. <laughs> I think, you know, very much like the mama situation, if you've been in church long enough, you probably um, know somebody or have been somebody who has experienced a really deep church wound. And it's, you know, for some people, it chases them away from developing a relationship with God. It's one of those things, again, like mama, like you get the building of the church confused with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, the book will be set up kind of like Surviving Mama, just, you know, the true stories of people and what they experienced in their in their church wounding. And, you know, I just so hope and pray I can get that done by the end of the year. <laughs> that's my goal. So uh, in a nutshell, yeah, that's what's going on. Absolutely. Well, we will definitely be on the lookout for both the podcast and the book. I think that those will be very exciting additions to, you know, your already awesome offering of things that you have. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Joy. It has been just such a delight to connect with you. You and I, we got to get together and just catch up and have lunch because it's been a minute since we've had, I've had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to you, but it was, it was love at first sight, audience, when I met Joy. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> So as you can tell, Dr. Thompson is just a wealth of information and I think shared some very important perspectives for us to help maybe rethink and reframe some of the conversations and our thinking around um, mother-daughter relationships, particularly if they are strained. So if you want to hear more or see more from Dr. Thompson, please make sure to check out her book, Surviving Mama. Again, a link to this will be in the show notes and be on the lookout for her upcoming podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session seven. And please make sure to continue the conversation with us on social media. Make sure to use the hashtag TBG in session. And you can find us on Twitter at therapy for the number four B girls. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at therapy for black girls. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. 
Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.